0: The House and the Senate both return tomorrow and will stay in session through the end of the week. Last week in the House, the House came back to work on Monday and voted to pass two bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House passed 11 bills by voice vote under suspension. Then the House took up the conference report to accompany H.R. 6395, the Mac Thornberry National Defense Authorization Act for FY21. That bill passed by a veto-proof majority of 335 to 78. Then the House passed another bill under suspension. On Wednesday, the House two more bills under suspension of the rules, including H.R. 8900, the one-week continuing resolution to keep the government funded until December 18. That bill passed by a vote of 343 to 67. On Thursday, the House passed two bills under suspension and then passed another six bills under suspension of the rules by voice vote, and then they were done. This week in the House, they'll come back into session no sooner than Tuesday, with first votes taking place no earlier than 6.30 p.m. Leaders of both parties in the House agree they will not leave until two bills are passed, a government funding bill to extend funding into the new year. That is either a continuing resolution that would likely carry funding through February or March, or an omnibus spending bill to carry government funding all the way through September 30th. And second, a new coronavirus relief bill. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back to work on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Stephen Sidney Schwartz to be a judge of the United States Court of Federal Claims. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Nathan A. Symington to be a member of the Federal Communications Commission. The Senate also voted Tuesday to confirm Stephen Sidney Schwartz to be a judge of the United States Court of Federal Claims. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm three new members of the Federal Election Commission, Alan Dickerson, Shana M. Broussard, and Sean J. Cooksey. Then the Senate took up two resolutions attempting to block U.S. arms sales to the United Arab Emirates. Both measures failed. On Friday, the Senate voted to invoke on and then voted to pass the conference report to accompany H.R. 6395, the National Defense Authorization Act. The measure passed by a veto-proof majority of 84 to 13. And then the Senate passed by voice vote to the one-week continuing resolution that had passed the House on Wednesday, giving appropriators a few more days to come to agreement over a one-year omnibus spending bill. This week in the Senate, they'll come back to session on Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on cloture on the nomination of Thomas L. Kirsch to be United States Circuit Judge for the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Based on the majority leader's cloture filings, I suspect that the Senate will also vote this week on the nomination of Catherine A. Kritzer to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Tennessee. And at some point, the Senate will vote on another funding bill, either a several-month CR or a full-year omnibus spending bill, either of which will likely also contain a section on coronavirus relief. Now to the NDAA. The conference report to accompany H.R. 6395, the National Defense Authorization Act, passed both houses by veto-proof margins. That's important to note because President Trump has threatened to veto the bill if it passed as it came out of the conference committee. He had two objections, one old and one new. The old objection was that the NDAA, as it passed both houses, contained language that would mandate the removal of the names of Confederate soldiers from military bases. The new objection was that the conference report did not contain a provision that President Trump wanted the Congress to add, to wit, a repeal of Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act. Congress chose to leave in the provision requiring the removal of the names of Confederate soldiers from military bases and chose not to add the language repealing Section 230. So the ball is now in the president's court. Given that both houses have demonstrated they have the numbers to override the veto, perhaps the president will simply sign the bill and avoid the hassle. Stay tuned. More on the Flynn pardon. On Tuesday, Judge Emmett Sullivan, who had refused to simply drop the case against General Michael Flynn when the Department of Justice decided to drop the case against General Michael Flynn, finally dismissed the case as moot two weeks after President Trump pardoned his former National Security Advisor. But it took Judge Sullivan 43 pages to do it, and he spent all 43 of those pages intimating that General Flynn was guilty and the entire Department of Justice was corrupt. Now to Eric Swalwell. On Tuesday, Axios broke a hot news story. Democrat Congressman Eric Swalwell had for years had a relationship with a suspected Chinese spy. From 2012 through 2015, according to the report, Swalwell was close to a young Chinese woman who went by the name Fang Fang or Christine Fang. The FBI approached Swalwell in 2015 and gave him a defensive briefing. He ended his relationship with the woman and she later returned to China. When his staff was asked if Swalwell had had an intimate relationship with the suspected spy, his staff responded that they would not answer the question because the answer in their words, quote, might be classified, end quote. Note to Swalwell, that is not the right way to answer that question because now everyone is convinced that he did have an intimate relationship with her. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy called on Speaker Pelosi to remove Swalwell from his position on the House Intelligence Committee. She said she sees no problem with Swalwell remaining there. Now to Trump legal challenges. On Monday, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed suit in the Supreme Court against the states of Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia, claiming that in the four states, changes in voter laws and actions had occurred without the consent of the respective state legislatures, and that, therefore, those changes were unconstitutional and and invalid. Therefore, he argued, many of those state ballots must be declared null and void. Either Trump would then win the individual states or no one would win, which would deny anyone the 270 electoral votes necessary to claim victory in the Electoral College and the race would be thrown to the House of Representatives. By the end of the week, 23 other attorneys general had joined the lawsuit and 126 Republican members of the House of Representatives had filed an amicus brief in support of the lawsuit. The Trump campaign, too, signed on. On Friday, the Supreme Court issued a three-sentence ruling. Quote, the state of Texas's motion for leave to file a bill of complaint is denied for lack of standing under Article 2 of the Constitution. Texas has not demonstrated a judicially cognizable interest in the manner in which another state conducts its elections. All other pending motions are dismissed as moot end quote. Justice Alito wrote a statement about his thoughts on jurisdiction and Justice Thomas joined him. It was not a dissent. The statement reads, quote, statement of Justice Alito with whom Justice Thomas joins. In my view, we do not have discretion to deny the filing of a bill of complaint in a case that falls within our original jurisdiction. See Arizona v. California, 589 U.S. February 24, 2020. Thomas J. dissenting. I would therefore grant the motion to file the Bill of Complaint, but would not grant other relief. And I expressed no view on any other issue," end quote. Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, a Trump appointee to the federal bench rejected another Trump lawsuit. And in Georgia, the state Supreme Court declined to hear the president's legal challenge. And finally, electoral college challenges. Congressman Mo Brooks, as Chris just walked us through, has announced that he will object to the votes cast by certain states when the role of electoral college votes is called during the joint session of congress on january 6th the question is will he be able to convince a senator to join him if not his challenges will go nowhere if he does find a senator to join him the two houses will separate and then will debate each challenge for up to two hours before voting to sustain or reject the challenge um, and just to be clear In the event that the two bodies separate for the purposes of debating and voting on a challenge to a state's electoral votes, the House votes as it regularly does by individual member, not by delegation, as happens when the House is called upon to decide a presidential election where no candidate achieved a majority in the Electoral College. And that's our Washington report for this week.